wonderful song. Thank you for that. Let's turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 this evening as we continue on our series on Grounded and Settled. And just uh, last week we begun the series just talking a little bit about who Paul was and then just a reminder to them already of who they, they were as a, as a church and we'll continue in that vein this, this evening. Uh, if you recall, the, the issue was there was a, some, some, a mixture of worldly philosophy and all of that coming into the church and the only solution to that is, being, is understanding who we are in Christ and being grounded and settled in that. And what we're going to see tonight as we get into the, the rest of the, uh, this chapter is that this wasn't just any church, this was a good church. And just because, just because we have a good church doesn't mean these things can't, shouldn't be addressed and that we're still not um, immune to these things. And um, I, do, I do hope that you're, uh, you're, you've been praying for one another as we head into the, the second half of the, of the year leading into next year been praying for our missionaries as well. I know that they've had a good couple of months. I, I heard from Brother Alex this, uh, this past week. He was able to lead a family to the Lord and uh, took them to church and over there in Argentina. I uh, heard from, uh, from Brother Curtis as well and some of the things that's been happening there. And then heading into a time where we have outreach over in um, Gympie, I think this Saturday, another one. And then I hope that you've been praying for, for the opening service of Crossroads Baptist Church over there on the 14th of August. But what I'm saying is, is we're, we're, there's a lot of things that we're, we're part of as a church. But what will help us to continue to move forward in that is that if we're just grounded and settled. And, and tonight we're going to answer the question further, who is the church? As he, as he introduces this book here in, in this first chapter, he's really outlining who's who in, in, um, in all of the, the things that he's going to say. And he's going to talk about the, the church a little bit. And so uh, look with me there in, in chapter one. Let's just begin reading from the beginning and then read down to verse 8 tonight. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it, is, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. And let's pray, we'll ask the Lord to bless and we'll get into it this evening. Father, again, we are thankful, dear Lord, for your goodness to us, your grace today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity again that we have tonight to open your word and to study it. Lord, it's, it's more and more needful that we have this time, Lord God, to just, just study through and get, get in depth with, with Lord, your, your word. And Father, there's so much that competes for our attention. There's so much that can infiltrate our thinking and Lord, the only antidote to that, the only solution to that is just to get grounded and settled. And so I pray that you'd help us as we study further, Lord, in, in your word tonight. And I pray that you'd bless the church. Thank you for everyone here that's able to come. I, I pray that you'd please bless each one for their faithfulness to you. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. 
And so we notice here again in, in verses 1 and 2, we talked about Paul. We talked about how he was, he was by the will of God an apostle and we define what that was. We spoke a little bit about the, the saints that he refers to here and the faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, how really it was just a bit of a reminder of who they were to, to begin with in Christ. And, and he goes on and he says there in verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And so he's going to say some things here about the church that really wasn't something that he was, had observed himself. You remember, if you recall from last week, that this was a, a group of people that Paul had never met face to face, actually. This was a group of people that, by and large, he only heard about through uh, uh, his fellow servant, Epaphras, who we read there in verse 7, he's their faithful minister. It was evidently he was a pastor of the church. And he's gone now, Epaphras has gone now to Paul to talk a little bit to him about some of the issues that were happening there in, the, in that region of Colossae, in that city of Colossae. And, and so a lot of the things, all of the things actually that Paul is about to rehearse, was really something that Epaphras had declared to him about this church. And, you know, I was thinking about that, how, how often we, we, know, uh, we know someone by name, perhaps. Maybe you know someone from another place and you know them by name. And maybe you're, you're moving somewhere and you're trying to get to know the people around there. And, and often the, the only way we can do that, the only way we can know about those that we've never met is to ask others who know them. And often the, the characteristic of, of who we are often can be, can be affirmed and verified by those around. You know, when you, you are looking for a job, often when you go through an application process, one of the things that they ask about isn't just your resume, the things that you say about yourself, right? But you ask for, the, you ask for a reference. You ask for several references that uh, know you outside of what is said in that resume, and there needs to be a comparison of that. Someone that, that you're hoping to be employed by will ask someone else about you. Often, if I want to know about someone, I'll ask their family or their friends, and, and, and they'll say some things that, you know, in their estimation and in their experience of who you are, gives a better summary, a better understanding of, of who you are. And this is really what's happening here in, in this part of the letter in this part of the book that we're studying through, is there's some affirming things about the church that, that Paul is now declaring based on what Epaphras has said. And, and, and you can imagine here now they're receiving this letter from, from Paul and you're, they're hearing these things said about them. How, how needful it was to, again, affirm a little bit to the church that was going through a little bit of, a, a little bit of an issue or situation that they were facing now where some things were being questioned, and he was again reminding them, now really through the lens of someone who knew them better, Epaphras, of who they were. And you know, sometimes it's needful. Sometimes when we go through a little bit of, a, of trying, maybe sometimes we're, we're, we're trying to sort through some things that can confuse us, sometimes we just need to be reminded about who we are. Well, sometimes we just need to be reminded from an outside source what it is that we're supposed to be and, and what we have been historically even. And he lists down here for us some characteristics that was, thank, that, that was uh, what he was thankful for. But it was also really, a, 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 from, from Paul's point of view, an affirmation of who they were. And what we're going to find is by the end of this that this was a good church. 
This was a church that had some right things historically. This was a church that had already some sort of grounding and settling, but they needed to be reminded once again. They need to be established on those things once again. And, you know, the, the, the one that, that in the end, uh, who, whose testimony of you will count the most, will be one day when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and God himself recalls who we are. You know, we might, we might be able to sort of present a certain way who we are, and it may or may not be accurate. I, I may get a reference for someone and, and, and understand a little bit, and you may have fooled them, you may have, but here's what I'm saying, you can't fool God though. And so often, when again, we think about how he referred to those seven churches in the book of Revelation, he, he reminds those churches again and again, I know your works. I know who you are. I, I know what you're all about. And, and here again, he records for us really accurately what the church there in Colossae was all about. And and I hope that these would be some things that could be said about us. That as a church, we would be this as we think about this church in Colossae. Who is this church? Firstly, they were ones who, were, who had a faith in Christ. Notice there, he says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And Paul and Epaphras, who later on would say he had a great desire for them. They, they would pray for them in their absence, pray uh, for the church there. And one of the good things that we ought to do throughout the course of our time is just pray for one another, pray for our church as we go on and try to labor for the Lord. And he's saying there that, that, that they were thankful for, to, to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for them. And then he notes some things about them. Notice verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And the first thing that they had going for them, the first thing that that he wants to observe about their church was this church in Colossae was that they had a faith in Christ. Now that's pretty basic, isn't it? You think about what a church is, it's a called out assembly. It's a church full of those who have been saved by faith. And, and really when you consider the biblical definition of what a church is, it's not simply, it's not, it's not the building. It's not simply the size of the congregation. It's those who have been saved, right? That's what makes up a church. And so you can look around and you can look at the numbers that sometimes are presented as this is the church, but we, we, we know that there's a numbers perhaps within the church who aren't the church. And I'm saying that if you're going to be the church and you're going to be part of the church, then you need to be someone who has their faith in Christ, someone who's saved. And again, Paul had, had no previous dealings with this church in Colossae. And all he had, he had heard of their faith in Christ through this man who was a faithful minister, Epaphras. This was a group of people who had placed their faith in Christ for salvation. And no doubt, and all of us here, we have heard numerous times what the gospel is, having faith in Christ. The Bible tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You understand that faith in Christ isn't really firstly speaking about something that we earn. No, it's something that we receive. It's something that we have been given because of salvation, and we've placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we have faith in Christ. And no doubt, if you think about it, you look around, and there's uh, even perhaps even within our church, there are those who would attend week in, week out, 
and they would come along and they would seem to have a, a, a strong service for the Lord and even would use their talents for Christ. But that doesn't make you part of the church. Your faith in Christ makes you part of the church. There are those who in the days to come will say to the Lord, Lord, Lord. And he'll say to them, depart from me. I never knew thee. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a scary thought. You think about those that perhaps grew up in church and, and grew up just, just maybe taking for granted that they were always in church, but that doesn't make you saved. Faith in Christ makes you saved. Faith in Christ makes you part of the church. And he was referring to those in the church of Colossae who had their faith in Christ. You know, in Galatians 2.16, the Bible says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And it's imperative to know that you have faith in Christ for salvation. You know, I think, sadly, too many people take that for granted. You know, I think sometimes it is true when we look around and not all the church who are in attendance are saved. I think someone shared a story about uh, an evangelist that's well known to you in the past, he was here and he had a, he had a conversation with another man that was in the church, it was, a, it was George Francis, and he was saying to that man, you know, he's, he reckoned that there was 80% of the church unsaved. And we don't know what the percentage is, right? God knows the heart. We can't judge that as we look around and we understand we, that there's some evidences of that that we can look to and we would hope for and we understand that. But what I'm saying is sometimes we can take that for granted. Sometimes we can take that for granted as we're going about. And, and, and yet the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, 15, he says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. That's not advocating a work salvation. That's saying be a little bit more fearful about your salvation. You know, that we ought to examine ourselves, the Bible says. In Philippians 2, 12, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as it my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying that, that there needs to be a, just, a, just a, an examination often of the heart. And, and, and you know, one of the pillars, of course, that helps us be grounded and settled is just knowing that we're saved. That knowing 100%, knowing from the promises of the Word of God and knowing because of the inner workings of the Spirit of God in your heart. Your, his spirit beareth witness with your spirit that you are saved. And there ought to be, and, and you know, as we take the time perhaps with our children, that, that we're, 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 we're careful to show them from the Word of God what it is to know Jesus as their Savior. That we don't just quickly just sort of declare things in their lives that may not be. You know, I have young children and I'm just careful. I remember the, the times where Vicky and, and Malachi, and they, they had the time where they just sat with me and they talked a little bit about what it means and I had some blossoming of a desire to know Christ as their Savior. And we were very careful as, as parents to talk with them very clearly what it was to be saved, not because we didn't want them to just, just spout out a prayer because it pleased mom and dad. We wanted there to be a real conviction of heart. You know, sometimes we look around and, and we see Christendom today and the weakness of it at times. And uh, to me, the only explanation is there's, a, there's probably a percentage that aren't truly converted. Where's the power? 
Where's the changed life? And this was a faith heard. This was a faith declared. It was seen. And he was, he was really, he was saying, I'm giving thanks. Why? Because I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. See, the church isn't just a gathering of people. It's a gathering of people that have a faith in Christ. And I hope that that's us today. But then he also says, notice verse, uh, verse 4 again. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ. And then he says, of the love which ye have to all the saints. Here's the next thing that he was saying about them. The, the, the who is this church? Who is this church in Colossae? Not only were they a people who had a faith in Christ. There were also people who had a love for the saints. They, they, they had a love for the saints. Um, it's evident here that they, uh, they understood the, the place that Epaphras had. He will speak about the fact that they ministered to others. And, and there, there was something about the church that just had a great love for the saints. And the church had a, had a, had a, had a reputation for being one full of love. And, you know, sometimes we think about the, the characteristics of churches and Sometimes we can look at the, the talent, the raw talent in a church, and we can hear the singing, and we can hear the, 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 the musicians play. And I've been to churches that uh, have been full of that. They've just, you know, blown me away by the, just the, the giftings that they had musically as they lifted up voices to worship, was moving and, and all of that. And I've been to churches that have, have the, the best facilities and they seem to just have ev- thought of everything. And the, from the entrance right through to where, where you sat, but it, I was just amazed at the, the detail and how comfortable they made you feel and, and how, how well designed all of the, the, the different parts of the facility were. I was even impressed with the toilets, how well they were. You, you can look at churches that just seem to have just the ability to, to, to do different things and you're sort of, you look at that and you go, man, that's amazing. But you know, all of that won't count if there's no love in that church. And, you know, one of the things that we ought to aim for and we ought to desire and we ought to be characterized by as a church is all of that. We can be organized, we can be prepared and planned, but most of all, we ought to be a church that loves. Because the Bible tells us, by this shall all men know, that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. You know, we can have all of the disciplines, we can have all of the standards and rules, but if there's no love then there's no thankworthiness in that. And the church of Colossae had that. They had a love one for another and the distinguishing characteristic of a Christian to one another and to the world is our love. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and notice what, what Peter had to say about that. 1 Peter chapter 1. Someone astutely said this week how different the Peter is that we read here in, in First and Second Peter compared to the Peter that we uh, look at in, in, uh, throughout the course of the Gospels. And it's true. And, and notice what he's saying now in, in his mindset here as he writes the, the very words of God in verse 19. And he's reflecting here, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, they were saved. Saying that's how you get saved. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Notice the product of that. Notice the product of that. He goes on. He talks about how we're saved. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's saying you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto something. What, it is, what is it? Unfeigned or real love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. You, you understand what he's saying there? He says pure heart fervently. That, that, that with a clarity, with a, with a confidence, he's saying there that we ought, have, we ought to have a passionate love one for another. That ought to be the, the characteristic of the church. And, you know, our love one for another should be evident to uh, each other and, and those around the world. And, you know, we ought to be a welcoming church. We ought to be a friendly church. We ought to be a church that's grounded and settled on the things of, of faith. And we, we ought to be a doctrinal church. But that doesn't negate us being a loving church. And we ought to be that. And it's something that we should increase in. In 1 Thessalonians 3.12, he says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. You know, that's something we ought to be increasing in. It ought to be something that's evidently growing in our midst and, and those around us. And, and we can display this in several ways. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. How do we display that kind of love he, he, that was heard of there in the church of Colossae? He describes it this way. Be therefore followers of God, verse 1, as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given, given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He's just one way we just live sacrificially. We live in, in the same way that Jesus sacrificed himself. We live that way in, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, look at Colossians chapter 2. So go back to Colossians and we'll cover this later in, in more depth. But he says it there as well. He says, for I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. He says it, he's saying here for them at Laodicea and for many as have not seen my face in the flesh. There it is. He's never met them. That their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But he's saying there that you're, you're to be knit together in love. You know how you show love? By showing, by giving, by having unity in Christ. And you, you know, you understand, we're all different, right? We're all different. You, you look around, even tonight, you look around and you see there's different personalities, different backgrounds, there's personalities that grate against each other. There's different, different priorities even at times in, in, in the way we live. And there's all of those differences. And, and the thing that's meant to cut across all of that is our love for one another in Christ. The unity. Th those things that are to bind us together ought to be those things of Christ. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're to forbear one another. In, in Later down in that same chapter, in Ephesians 4, we are to speak the truth in love. And we're saying, how do we display love? We do these things. We, in Galatians 5, 13, it, we, we don't use liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love, we serve one another. How's our service to one another? Do we look for opportunities to be a blessing and be a help, or are we just in it for ourselves? And he's saying about the church in Colossae, there's something about you that I'm thankful for. There's something that I want to commend you. Here's your character. Here's who you are. You have a love for the saints. And I wonder if that's a, that's a commentary about our own lives. I wonder if that would be a commentary about our church. As we go about and we try to, as best as we can, minister. 
You know, and, and that's the thing that will make all the difference. You know, in the area of church leadership, we are to esteem or honor in love. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be a peace among yourselves. And he's saying there, just, just honor them. You know, I, I loved after the conference this year and, and some of the groups, I was just, sometimes I just watch and observe what's happening after. And there was just, a, just, just encouragement. I was just seeing uh, different groups just try to encourage one another and think all the things that God was doing. And, and I remember just one afternoon, the, the music ministry, they were just, had a heavy load, of course, of all of the, the preparations uh, during conference and the service of that. And they honored certain people who were just leading during that time. And they just took the time, and I thought that was really, I just sat at the back there and just watched that, and I thought, that's touching. That's good that they recognized those who just put in, and they, they esteemed them that showed some leadership during that time. That's a good thing. The, the Bible tells us to do that, and, and we're supposed to. You know, the Bible tells us to let brotherly love continue. And so as, as far as, as God's concerned, one of the commendable things about a church and their character it's just a love for the, for the brethren. How's our love? You know, go, do we go out of our way each week to just observe and see the needs of others? And then do we do our bit to try to encourage with a kind word or to encourage with a kind, kind service to them? Do we go and introduce ourselves and, and, and understand their situation? Do we go about and do we speak the truth in love in times where that's needful? All of that has to do with our love for the saints. Is that who we are? And here he's commending the church in Colossae, that's who you are. You're those that, that, that have a love for all the saints. And then he goes on in verse 5, not only were they a church that had a, had a faith in Christ and a love for the saints, but they were a church who were full of hope. You know, in our world today, what we need, we need, we need some hope. There's a, there's a lot of fearful things in the world today, isn't there? There's a lot of things that can rob you of hope. There's a lot of things that can dismay you and dis cause you to be despondent. The, the situations that the, our world is in, you know, the, there's wars and there's, there's all of these things that we're dealing with as far as, uh, as, far as the... the health and all of that's concerned. We're, we're seeing crashes in the stock market, all that, that people seem to always want to put their, their hope and trust in. And he's saying here that for the church here, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. He's saying here that, that they had a, a real hope. They were hopeful really through the gospel. And the reason, church, we have hope is we're people of the gospel. We have hope because we have Christ. And it ought to be that we're not despondent about our time. And, and we understand, again, the balance of that is that we're, we ought to be, there ought to be concern in us. But it ought, ought not to take us under. It, it ought to just remind us of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That order, we ought to be, of all people, what I'm saying is during this time, of all people, we should be the people of hope. We should be the ones that are just hopeful of the fact that we have the answer to the ills of mankind. And, and he's saying there that you have a hope. 
And we have hope because of the gospel, and the gospel gives us hope. And it's not a, just a, a hopeful maybe. It's one that is guaranteed. This hope is to place confidence in. It's to trust in with great expectation of what is promised and what is good. In 1 Peter 1.3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's saying we have a lively hope. In Hebrews 6.19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. He's saying our, our hope is sure and steadfast. It's meant to anchor us in the storms of life. It's meant to anchor us in those, those things that, that can, can shake our boat a little bit and it's sure and steadfast. You know what our hope is? What we notice here firstly, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, it's a future hope. It's something that's laid up, but the Bible tells us we have an inheritance incorruptible, right? We have something to look forward to. We have heaven. And he's saying it's laid up for us in heaven. It's, it's a future hope. It's something we look forward to. You know, we don't just have hope here. We have hope to come. And we look around, and, and again, we, uh, we have, we have a, a world today that has no surety about their future. Those things that they can always seem to bank on, they're slowly being taken away. But what we do have, we have, we have a future hope that we can give them. We have a future hope that we can speak about, but... This, this hope is not only a future hope. Notice verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, it's a founded hope. It's something founded on the eternal truths of God's word. You understand that you look, look around and again, there's all the histories being rewritten a little bit. There's all those things that again, we can rest in that the world sort of rests in the, the, the things of the past and yet we have the eternal unchanging word of God. And it's a founded hope. He says in Psalm 119, verse 81, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Our hope's founded. And, and that's why, you know, let's keep a, a closeness to the word of God. Let's keep a closeness to, to what it is that God promises to us in his word. And then he goes on and he says about this hope which is come unto you, as it is in all the world. You know what else this hope is? It's not only a future hope, a founded hope, but it's a far-reaching hope. You know, again, I mentioned our, our missionaries across the, the fields this, this just before in the introduction. I think about them often. I, I pray for them. I think about the impact they're making over there. And I'm amazed again that, that the, the gospel works wherever you are. You understand that the gospel, it was meant for the whole world. It's far-reaching. That's why you can tell your neighbor across the street. That's why you can tell someone who you work with, someone that you commute with, someone that you study with. And same, you can tell someone across the seas, and it's hope. It's hope anywhere. And it's a far-reaching hope. It reaches to the uttermost. And this hope is available to everyone in the world. And then he goes on, he says, not only is it far-reaching, it brings forth fruit. We see that in verse 6. So it's a fruitful hope. You know, it's not a, a hope that results in nothing. It's a hope that bears fruit in our lives. But then also, lastly, tonight, notice here, also in you, since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. You know what it is? It's not only 
all of those things that we spoke about. It's not only a future hope, a founded hope, a far-reaching hope, a fruitful hope, but it's a free hope. It's a free hope. It was given by grace. And we understand it by grace and knew the grace of God in truth. We understand what grace is. I think it's undeserved favor and kindness. None of us owned hope. We were given hope. None of us owned salvation. We were given salvation. And as we called on Christ as our Savior, as we have our hope grounded in the gospel, you know what that also means? It was given us. It's a free hope. Now the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. It's by grace. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And listen, if you are lacking for some hope, you know where you ought to start? Just remind yourself about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Just remind yourself about the goodness of God. Remind yourself how that was free. You didn't earn it. He did it all. He paid the price. And, and I, I, you know, tonight as we think about this church, this group of people, again, Paul didn't know. But the testimony of Paphras just hold, held true of this about them. And I wonder if tonight if, if we could say that about us. Are we a people hopeful in the gospel? Are we a people that when we look at our, our lives that as a church and as an individual, we have a great love for the saints? And there we are people that just, again, we're just thankful for the faith we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray and then we'll, we'll sing and we'll get into our week. Father, thank you, Lord God, again, for just, uh, Lord, just a great reality of who we are in you. Father, none of us here earned that. None of us here could have ever hoped for that in our own strength. But Father, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us and because he brought us in when we, Lord, we couldn't find our own way. Dear God, we have all of these and we can exercise these in our lives each day. And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to just be the people, Lord God, and especially in our day that, that is just grounded and settled. Help us, dear Lord, then to just be full of hope, full of love and full of faith, Lord, to, toward those that are without. But certainly, Lord, as we go about and even as we deal with one another each day, and Lord, I pray that you would just help us to then just honor you in all of those and be thankworthy in your sight. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen.